Welcome everyone to episode 25 of Popcorn Peeps, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. This episode is dedicated to the 2005 romance drama Brokeback Mountain, directed by Ang Lee, starring Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal. This film is based on the 1997 short story of the same name written by Annie Proulx. The film itself is a multi-academy award-winning film and was indoctrinated into the U.S. Library of Congress's National Film Registry for its cultural importance. Today I am joined by cowgirl extraordinaire Sarah Alexander. Howdy, Jordan. Ten-gallon hat enthusiast Chris McMullen. I can't quit you. And the best damn rodeo clown this side of the Mississippi, Craig Moore. Yee-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> can't believe we made it to 25 episodes, guys. What is your first impression of Brokeback Mountain? I forgot how talented Heath Ledger was. I haven't obviously seen him in anything for quite some time, so watching this reminded you of... Since he killed himself with drugs? Yeah, he just slipped off my mind. Like I haven't, His movies aren't ones that I would go back to regularly, and so, yeah, watching this, you're like, holy shit, he was really talented, and it was such a shame. I've only ever seen him in The Dark Knight, so this was a nice way to see more of his work. I think he did a great job in this, as well as the great job he did in Dark Knight. Powerful performance from both of them mm-hmm. the movie tells a story of you know these two guys kind of through their whole lives you know they start really young they're like in their 40s towards the end and it's a real sad beautiful emotional movie it's interesting because you don't get your happy ending here a lot of these films like hollywood in general happy endings around you conquer the bad guy but this one society and life and just the shit that they have to deal with conquers them and it's it's really powerful and it's really refreshing in a way to see that as as a whole i really enjoyed the film like the acting is top-notch as chris said the characters felt really genuine and the passage of time i think is why this movie stuck with me so much it's not like you get to see them in one spot of their life how they behave you get to see them throughout decades and so you get to see them grow and evolve and maybe it's a little bit cheating because it's really easy to get character development when you can just skip ahead four years and change the personality a little bit but i'm, I'm not going to count it as cheating it felt akin to one of my favorite movies machia which follows like this more woman as everyone around her and society changes so it was really refreshing to see uh to see that happen and in a much better way than it happened in bonnie and clyde the passage of time was so seamless it was so good it never felt jarring and i feel like if it ever did feel jarring it was intentional but they did little subtle things to help keep you in the loop like oh the facial hair is slightly changed or the hair has been dyed or something like that just to say hey here's a very noticeable thing to let you know some time has passed and then you get to figure out with the way the characters interact how much time has passed. And it was just a brilliant way to set it up. The one thing that I, I noticed with the passage of time was they had gray streaks in Heath Ledger's hair towards the end to signify that he had, he had aged. Because, I mean, the guy, you can do a lot of great aging and stuff with people's, with makeup and stuff. They didn't do a lot of that. But you're right, the cars changed, the fashion changed, and putting some gray streaks in his hair was just chef's kiss delicious. You feel like you've known them for their whole lives. Enos is clothes never really change though do they maybe a little bit but not significantly not like trendsetter fashion style but i mean like jack definitely moved forward yes, absolutely yeah. i don't know if it matters that much because the world around them changes as well so I'm just alluding to their personality. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that just speaks more to the character. Yeah. 
It definitely matters when you're comparing the characters to one another. You could say that Ennis's style really doesn't change after he meets Jack, and I think it might be because he's dwelling on that moment, bringing himself back to that, and maybe that's the filmmaker's way of showing that he's never really moved on from that moment, and that has acted as a huge cornerstone in his life that he's really just always falling back to and looking back on, and every decision he makes, it's always either trying to get over that hump or trying to forget that hump, but it keeps getting brought back to it. Maybe. I, I just think it's more of he's the kind of person who doesn't change. That was my impression as well, Chris. I tend to agree. He landed on a style when he was 20 years old, and that was good enough for him. Yeah, he's a simple man, wears blue jeans and a leather jacket. He'll drive the same car till it stops working. What did you think of uh, Enos's character itself, though? So I know we had two main characters, but to me, his character was the emotional, most relatable, understandable character. He was the one who really went on this crazy emotional roller coaster. I felt like we followed his character more than we followed Jack. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a gay man in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Watching this movie makes me feel like it wasn't a good time, especially living where he was. Heath Ledger, incredible actor. Haven't seen him in much recently, <laughs> but <laughs> he did justice to that character. And I'm sure that there's probably a lot of gay men now in 2021 who were gay in that time who probably look back at it and go, yeah, wow, that guy did a good job because it played the heartstrings. I think he did a fantastic job given what we're seeing of Ennis's childhood too. So his first experience seeing what the town considered a gay couple, just these two guys living together was their murder. And so that's his first interaction with that type of sexuality. And then you can see how that just kind of colors himself going forward. He becomes very guarded. He doesn't let anyone in. And a touch I noticed is his mouth always seemed really tight. Like he didn't want anything coming out. And I thought, oh, maybe that's just how Heath Ledger held his jaw. I don't know. So then I watched A Knight's Tale two days later and it was totally different so it's just something he added to the character I think it did come off where he's not letting anybody in because that makes you vulnerable especially when murder and is on the line here he did a fantastic job and it comes through in all of this character's interactions whereas with Jack you don't have that well we don't see that same coloring of his background he seems to be more open and accepting and he has this dream that yeah we, we can live together on a farm we'll work it and it'll be great it's this dream that he keeps trying to put on to Ennis and I'm sure Ennis does want that but at what cost? In the end Ennis was right not to go with Jack Yeah, because when Jack did what he wanted he was beaten to death on the side of the road but then I'm still like just go to San Francisco it, it's better there right that was at least a bastion back then also I was talking to Shelley about this that would mean giving up everything he knew like literally he was a he was a cowboy exactly and he never would have seen his kids again as distant as he was with his kids and you know that he doesn't go around much and stuff he's still their dad that's not an easy thing to walk away from Chris you say he made the right choice but I would argue that right or wrong isn't even necessarily the right way to uh, say it sorry. I would look at Jack more as like a martyr essentially for his cause. He was as loud and proud as he could be without like, you know, instantly dying, but he was much more open about who he was as a person and he didn't let society constrict him the way Ennis does. And he pays for it, but I mean- L Let me rephrase that. He didn't make the right choice. In the end, his choice to remain closeted was justified because when Jack yeah. came out in that area, he got murdered. I really love and hate Ennis, but it's because he's so organic. He does a lot that really frustrates 
frustrates me, but that's because he's filled with doubt, he makes mistakes, and he's under this tremendous pressure to fulfill his obligations as a husband and a father, and also what society expects him to be. But he doesn't really want any of it, and so he's always second-guessing himself. He gets himself into a situation where he has to break the hearts of his children and his wife, and I feel so bad for them. Their reactions are so good, and the acting is so good that, like, I understand that he's trying to deal with this, and he's trying to hide it and tell himself he doesn't need it, but at the same time, there's so much collateral in his wake, and I, I, I hated Ennis for what he did to Elma, but at the same time, like, the reason why I'm hating him and frustrated with him is because he's written so well and so real as a person who has flaws and rough edges and is just trying to play things by ear and figure it as he goes. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just trying to make the best of every situation, and he makes right decisions, he makes wrong decisions. I think I saw him as a character who was burning the world around him, just trying to stay alive. Like, this relationship with his wife, I genuinely believe this character wanted to not be gay and wanted to convince himself that he wasn't gay. Of course, life would be easier, way easier. I'm not gay, I'd, I just had sex with a dude that time. And, and like, I'm, I'm not gay, I just keep doing it every few months. I, but it's okay, because I'm a straight guy. Look at me, I've got a wife, i got kids, I'm a normal dude. I tend to agree, Craig, because when you look at how they behaved afterwards, after Brokeback Mountain, eventually Jack did go to Mexico, he did seek out those relationships, and that's nothing Ennis ever really cared to do. He had girlfriends, he had a wife, he was still able to have sex with them, and obviously have two children with them. I don't think he saw that as part of his identity. I think it was more like, I just have this insane chemistry with this person. Especially when you talk about how his dad was when he was a kid. And like, this isn't normal. This is a fucked up thing. Like, that's what he was taught, right? So he probably yeah. saw himself as like, mm -hmm. I'm just a straight guy, but I'm sick. Yeah. That's why I don't know if he would even consider it cheating, what he did, because he was engaged to Alma when he went up onto the mountain, and he had said he was a virgin, they never did anything. And then you can tell that Jack was the more experienced one out of the two of them, because he initiates, he knows what to do, and Ennis's first reaction is to get violent, push him away, like, no, like, what are you doing? So I don't think it's something that ever crossed his mind before he met this person, and then it doesn't happen again with any other man. I think he is gay, and he's doing absolutely everything he can to convince himself he's not by being a rough and tough macho boy and living his lifestyle and just being I guess negligent to the not negligent he's just resisting the way things are because he doesn't like that he's unhappy that this is who he is I agree that he is I just don't think he wants to believe that he is I think he knows he is and that's why he's trying so fucking hard to leave that behind him I think he's bi probably with a female like a female preference but the person who has his heart the person who he loves the most is Jack. I'd be definitely willing to entertain that argument. You're probably closer to right than wrong. It's a spectrum. What did you guys think of the actual chemistry of the relationship? I bought it. Absolutely. Those actors are so good. I would buy anything that they put on, on film. I don't know. I watched The Guilty. <laughs> what did you watch? That new Jake Gyllenhaal one on Netflix. The chemistry on scene between those two actors led into the characters so well. I believe that relationship hook, line, and sinker. I did too. My biggest problem with it was that I felt like there was a bit of a leap to get us into it. It really seemed abrupt when the first sexual encounter happens. Like it kind of comes out of the blue. Am I just daft or? I felt like there was a bit of flirting a little bit between them ahead of time, you know, uh, at the camp 
campfire and drinking and partying, whatever. But the, the first sexual encounter definitely felt abrupt. I didn't feel like the relationship itself was abrupt. My son has a lot of insight into queer community. And he said his biggest issue with this is that it is, it's all written by straight people. Yeah, I, sure. There are codes. There are ways you suss out to see if someone is in line with the way you think you are. they are, right? Were there when it was 1962 or whatever and they were up on the mountain? Though? You would have to be exceptionally careful in 1962. Yeah, but I'm wondering how widespread is this code, right? I'm a 19-year-old gay guy who's never had a gay experience and I'm up on a mountain with another 19-year-old gay guy. It's not like the falcon flies at midnight. It's just <laughs> yeah. it, like it's not a codified thing, but there is a there's a way of interacting and then like we're talking back I assume ever since homosexuality was, you know, not accepted. Right. A, a way of like sussing out like a jack buying that dude a drink and the, uh, the guy like instantly freaking out. I think Jack probably either he was a little too excited from his win or is not something that you would do in 1967 in a cowboy bar. Yeah, totally. Like that, that seemed to me, that scene was a little weird. I'm like, this can't be, well, it's actually not Jack's first rodeo. <laughs> He's been to rodeos before. When I saw that scene, I thought, God, I feel like that's just asking for trouble. You're going to walk out to your pickup truck later and get met with a tire iron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of that, that was something that my son had issue with is straight people writing gay relationships, but he sees that a lot. In and it. acting, acting them too. That's an interesting choice to pick two straight dudes to play your two gay guys instead of actually going out and finding gay actors in Hollywood. But that's like a, that's like a very like 2015 it was, it, that, onwards. That, it was 97. That was, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the industry, people would be like, we can't cast a gay man the amount of progress that happened in the lgbt plus community has happened with like lightning speed in like 10 years it's crazy how fast and maybe this movie mm -hmm. helped it would be cool if it did this movie did the exact opposite in my little small community this movie was called that gay cowboy movie and people would make fun of it and ridicule it without even having seen it because they knew what the content was this is my first time watching this now in 2021 and looking back on how this was received amongst people I knew is actually disgusting to look back on and think that no one would give this a chance because it's, ew, it's gross. It's that that one fag movie or whatever. And totally. I, and what, I was in high school when this came out and it was the exact same thing. People just talking about this couple of brokebacks over there, like these fucking, no one would watch this movie. This movie definitely belongs on this list. It's an incredibly good, beautiful romance story. Yeah. And people just didn't watch it because it was a gay movie. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck off. It's so good. What did you guys think about our boy Jack Twist? I agree with Craig in that he was obviously more of the supporting role because the whole movie was from Ennis's viewpoint. But I do think what we saw of him was really well done. And he was such a nice opposite to the role of Ennis. Not that he was super flamboyant as a person, but and he was a little bit more open. Going back to their relationship of the two of them when they're on the mountain, like Ennis hates soup, but Jack gets sick of beans, so Ennis orders beans. Jack is sick of going out and watching the sheep. He's happy to take the role. Just, it, I thought it did a really good job of building up that obviously he cares for this person that is nothing to him at that time, and he's willing to do these sacrificial things for him. Jake Gyllenhaal did a really great job with it, and it was a really, I don't know, I cried a tear at the end. Man, fuck this guy. No. This guy. What are you talking about? He did his best. Defend. 
Defend this that, motherfucker that goes in, knows this guy is married, fucking shoves his boy toy up against the side of the house, starts smooching for everyone to see, and his wife's right there, and he knows that, and he makes an effort to approach Ennis, knowing full fucking well what Ennis has committed himself to, being like, nah, bitch, you're mine. I don't give a fuck what I'm about to destroy. Come over here. I think if Jack, w- okay, so I let's, think if let's, Jack uh... had some fucking manners. Jack would have said, hey, I still want you. I understand what you're involved with. I want you to make a choice. I want you to come with me and we could live this great life together in Mexico or at my cabin or on the farm or wherever. Mexico? They had no fucking choice, Jordan. That's why they did what they did. Also, flip the script. Make it a woman who's truly in love with Innes and Innes is in a bad marriage. Then you're not mad at her because they're meant to be together. You got got kids. You got responsibilities. You're looking after the well-being of an entire familial unit. Jack needs to understand he can propose but jack just can't waltz in there and be like nah bitch i'm the most important one in this room but he didn't he, he didn't. said he didn't though he sent him a postcard and said hey man i'm gonna be in town they write some back he said see you then or something like that like if i'm if i'm sending a postcard to you You're know a former into a ex DM. and saying yeah and like i send this message saying hey i'm gonna be in town next weekend and i get a response back hit me up <laughs> well i think we're fucking let's, all let's, pretend, let's pretend he doesn't know about the wife at first maybe he does maybe he doesn't maybe i'm maybe i'm making assumptions maybe i miss he totally did but he, he totally gets introduced did. to the wife and he still wants to go to pound town at the lake bruh bruh no you you no no you have to understand Jack opened up and said, I'm going to be in town if you're interested. And Ennis wrote back, I'm interested. So when Jack showed up, he understood that Ennis felt the same way he did. Jack not only needs to be respectful <sighs> I gotta of go back to the- Ennis and that whole situation, but the familial unit, the dependence. No, Ennis needs to be respectful. It's not Jack's job okay, okay, to okay, be okay. respectful. Here's, here's, whoa, whoa, yeah, okay, okay. Totally. You, you just said you, Jack can propose a, a situation and then Ennis has to respond. No, but and Ennis to... has to actually cut ties before he goes and plays hanky-panky at the lake. It's this not Jack's responsibility life. for Ennis to act correctly. Someone had an affair. I think both parties, the person who is already married and the person they're sleeping with, are both naughty, 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 naughty people. No, no, no. Disagree. Ab- disagree. Ab- if disagree. I know someone has a wife, uh, has a husband, I'm like, I'm a fuck this motherfucker. And then I feel like that makes me a piece of shit. She's more guilty than you are. Well, you're guilty too because you're cheating on your girlfriend. But in a situation <laughs> where you're single and you're just going to bang some guy's wife, she's more guilty than you are because she betrayed someone's trust. She's the one who made the commitment. You you have no commitment with that third person. I am still a scumfuck bastard for going in where I shouldn't have been. I also think it's not black and white. It's it's a relationship where they literally can't be together and their only way to survive is to conform to the societal norms at the time. Yeah. Yeah, she was his beard. It's not just like he's on fishing trips blowing everybody out there. It's like it's this one person who's the love of his life. Even if Ennis is unhappy. He's in a miserable marriage. But what's the other option? Death. Then he can leave and then They're both in miserable marriages. Yeah. I think that he did actually love Elma. I think he definitely cared for her. I think he did too. He was a fucking asshole to her. Yeah, because we never hurt the ones we love. No, never. That's not part of the human condition. Show some respect. Not Jordan. <laughs> My God. 
Interesting. I didn't realize you had this puritanical. Yeah, I'm actually a fucking monster. <laughs> How dare people respect the sanctity of the union? I'm actually not religious at all. I just don't think you should be proposing to people who have significant others. Sure, Ennis made a mistake. Well, but here's the thing. You can propose anything you want. It's on the other party to decide how they're going to behave. And yeah. if they misbehave, that's not your fault. Fundamental difference. Probably not going to get over this. I also think Jack's a slimy little bugger. And I respect Jack's hustle, but I don't I don't think he's a great human being. Why do you think he's slimy? He's Because <sighs> he's a truck salesman? I think he's a guy who's in an unhairy, in, in an unhappy marriage. He's a tractor salesman. Yeah, tractor. <laughs> Nobody can sell a combine like Jack. I don't think he was slimy at all. I think he had this dream that he wanted and it was to work on a ranch with Ennis and that's all he wanted in life. I don't think there's anything slimy about that. Okay, the TLDR is I think he was getting a little too involved somewhere where there was already a little bit too much involvement happening. If he wanted to schmooze Ennis, I think he should have proposed perhaps a divorce. And they could have done stuff at the ranch or whatever. It's not the 1960s, man. Jordan, they could never be together. That's exactly what happened to those two guys that Ennis saw murdered. Like, it's not like, yeah, once Ennis got. That's what Jack wanted the whole time. Jack wanted that at the farm. This is like the definition of star crossed lovers. I know, but he didn't see that. And that's what's in Ennis's mind every time Jack's like, yeah, we'll just work on this ranch together. And Ennis sees, like, no, we're going to get killed. So even cool, when. So he... I'll end up in a dead in a ditch yeah even when he does get divorced he probably wasn't to jack like hey buddy i'm divorced get your ass down here but jack shows up kind of with that intention like i'm here now we can be together and he's never gonna get that dream i don't know man jack's slimy that's just the way it goes jack was a beautiful character jack was a beautifully emotional character he was he was very incredibly relatable he was great he had this great big open heart i think he even loved his wife i think his greatest moment in the entire film was when his father-in-law was giving him attitude at his house and trying to take control of his house and he was just like sit down and shut up old man you're a guest in my house and we're gonna do it my way here mm -hmm. that was very alpha yeah that was that was a great scene just to be clear i think jack is a great character and i think he's a real character and i really like like the way he was written. The fact that I think he is slimy and think does nefarious things is a testament to how akin this is to real life. Do you actually mean the word nefarious? Because like, no. this Sneak character is not nefarious. It sneaks and it skulks. <laughs> so, so, so here's a question for you. Did Jack and what was Jack's wife's name? Lorraine. Did Jack and Luann have an understanding? I don't know. My impression is that they did, that she was going to run, like keep the house under control. She'll work with him at the tractor business and he can go on his wink fishing trips. That actually leads to um, him being less nefarious because he could assume that Innes and uh, Alma had the same agreement. Or at least he didn't understand this, the complexity of what Ennis was going through. He didn't fully understand why Ennis couldn't just up and leave. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, like, you're familiar with the, the term beard. Yeah. Where heterosexual, or sorry, uh, you'd either have two homosexuals, a man and a woman who were married, they were a couple. For all intents and purposes, they, they were heterosexual, but they referred to the woman as, like, his beard because she was a cover. She was a smokescreen. Oh, interesting. Have you not heard that? I didn't know that was a term. I didn't know there was a term for it. But in now that I know that, I absolutely believe that's what Jack's wife was. And I think she knew it, too. She was like... Like, yeah, my husband's gay, but you know what? Fuck it. I got a good life. I'm pretty wealthy living in the South. I got the run of this whole tractor dealership. I'm a big shot. So whatever. So he wants to go on fishing trips with this boy. Who cares? 
Do you guys have any points in the film that you'd like to discuss that we haven't talked about already? The the, the third character, just the scenery. Oh, yeah, gorgeous. Oh my god, what a beautiful place to shoot. Fucking Alberta, looking real clean. That's right, yeah, nice. nice. You, you yeah. only think it's nice because you can't smell Alberta. <laughs> It smells nice. <laughs> Alberta, that entire province smells like shit. No, it does not. I went to Alberta for two weeks. Whole place stinks. Sorry, Albertans. No flame, but you got a lot of cows there. Were you on a cattle farm? I, I'm a, the whole province is a cattle farm. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't smell anything. I don't think Banff and Whist- no, Whist- Whistler's is BC, right? Whistler's in BC. But Bam- Banff is- Banff is the holy land. It is exempt from all impurities of this world. Canmore, Banff, yeah, they're- <laughs> They don't smell like cow shit, Sarah? No. <laughs> Can you confirm? Okay. One scene I wanted to talk about was, like, based on the scenery, is when they went to the mountain for the final time that they were together, and they kind of laid their cards out on the table, and just the way that Heath Ledger was low, Jake Gyllenhaal was kind of high, and then just in the background was that mountain. It was gorgeous, just all the different levels to it. And then even the dialogue within that scene was insane where they talk about how Jack was came out and said, like, I've been going to Mexico. And that's something that really pissed Heath Ledger off because he's like, sure, I, I've been sleeping with women, but now you're going with other men. That seemed to be a real game changer in their relationship. Yeah, that was interesting. My favorite scene that spoke most emotionally to me was when Ennis got, he was crossing the road and this car almost hit him. And the guy's like honking at him, like telling him to get the fuck out of the road. And Ennis punches th- punches him through the window and starts this fight in the <laughs> middle of the street. And it was this big self-destructive moment that to me, it just felt like this guy hates part of himself so much. He's so fucking self-destructive that he just want, like I genuinely think he just wanted to get the shit kicked out of him so that his physical pain could match his emotional pain he just wants to feel something it was so real so beautiful i i have friends that are so self-destructive and it's the same kind of thing that i could see them doing starting a fight they know they will lose just because of the mental state they're in i don't have to know whether i'll win or lose a fight because i just assume i'll lose all of them the one moment in the movie i thought was quite funny was how we're supposed to think of the guy who owns the sheep operation as a bad guy but he set out his terms and conditions at the beginning and neither of our main characters followed any of the rules and they're fucking around no. and do whatever they want and then they're upset that they can't get hired the next year i just thought that was funny like what do you mean you won't hire me oh you need help like bro all you did was fucking go to pound town on the mountain and let the wolves eat my sheep what the fuck do you think <laughs> is gonna happen exactly i think uh, that's why i think that guy is actually kind of low-key a hero like the 1960s version of an ally he recognizes these two guys are gay and doesn't just out them he doesn't just tell every other cowboy oh don't fucking work with that butt fucker like he just the other they show up and they he says i don't want to hire you last time i hired you 18 of my sheep got killed get the fuck out of here there was a lot of bleeding and two bleeding hearts I don't even know what the fuck that means. Okay, I said this when we watched the movie. I said, why does sheep bleat? They go bah. Oh, bleat. I thought you said bleeding. That's I'm like, the, what the That's the play. Had to be their jokes don't work on a podcast. Wasn't it had to be their joke until Chris was like, what? Enunciate your T's. I got it, Jordan. Give me a second. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The shirt. Come on. The shirt. Oh, yeah, that was beautiful. I cried. Oh, that was so good. Yep. Yeah, because like he's like, I can't believe I left my shirt on the mountain. And I'm like, I don't know if it was a memory or I'm like, that's because <laughs> I forgot. And then at the end, it's in his, he finds it in his closet. I'm like, oh. 
and he's still got them. Ennis has both of them at the end, and he has them hung up under a picture of Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, Oof, good. And the parents seem, um, Jack's parents seem to be pretty understanding. Like they, they seem to be in the know. At least the mom did. The dad seemed a little. He just looked like he was making the best of a situation he thought he was unfortunately stuck in, but the mom was very well to do. Yeah, but again, like that generation, not like disowning your son. That's the best you're going to get. I had a little bit of a busy weekend, so I didn't get a chance to go back and re-listen to the soundtrack. But I don't think there was a lot of memorable pieces. Did you guys enjoy the soundtrack? I don't remember it knocking my socks off or anything. Just that theme song. I think it did its job. Yeah. It definitely set mood, but there was no, how do you kids say it? Bangers. It's lit fam. No slum dog. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't going to get on the, this ain't going to get on the tick TikToks. The soundtrack was no Ghostbusters. <laughs> Mason wants me to start doing TikToks. Yeah, do it. <laughs> you should definitely start doing TikToks. So if you're following along with the YouTube video, you can check out a list of all the movies we've seen so far and where we've placed them in a ranking. So we're going to rank this film amongst the films we have seen so far. But considering this is the 25th episode and a lot of us felt a little bit unhappy with where we had put some stuff early on on our list, we're going to rekajigger things a little bit. Just because we were dumb once doesn't mean we need to be dumb forever. And so, Sarah, can you tell me a little bit about how you've moved your list around and where you're going to put Brokeback Mountain amongst the films we've seen so far? So movement was basically just in my top 10 and I thought more of movies that stayed with me or ones that I thought back to more often than I think I originally thought I would. 12 Angry Men is still my number one, but I've switched on the waterfront up to number two and moved Memento down to number three. Dr. Zhivago I've brought up to my fourth position and it was originally 10th. Wow, okay, whoa, 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 take me back. Why is Dr. Zhivago all of a sudden or a chart-topping hit? Yeah, I really liked it and it's things where now I was- You didn't like it once upon a time, what changed? I did, but it just kept moving down my list and I think I didn't put enough value in it. I, I do now. I was just watching something and it took place in Russia and they were just showing this train going by with all the snow and I was like, Dr. Zhivago, like it's everywhere. So yeah, I've moved it up to number four from 10 because I thought in the grand scheme of things, my fourth was Return of the King. I like Dr. Zhivago better, so I bumped that down. Then everything else kind of shifted up and my other big changer, I guess, would be moving Amadeus up a spot. Yes. Oh my God. You can't ridicule Chris for four episodes about Amadeus and then bump it up. Fuck off. It was below Inception. I liked it better than Inception, so I moved it up. Okay. You're letting him get into your head. You're letting Chris whisper. Amadeus is good. It's good, guys. I promise. And you're like, this is like the one ring is whispering to you. That being said, after watching Brokeback Mountain, I'm going to relegate Amadeus to my 11th spot and I'll put Brokeback Mountain in 10th. And then that means Inception is moving from my 9th place to my 12th. And that's all my movement. I made some major movements here. The first one worth mentioning is I moved Memento up to number two from number three, which puts my top three at 12 Angry Men, Memento, and On the Waterfront. A big move, one spot. <laughs> it's significant because On the Waterfront was at one point my number one movie. But you're starting to see, well, when we do the 50 reshuffle, you'll put it where it belongs. <laughs> the second major move worth noting is Dr. Zhivago, which somehow through the process of watching and ranking films had got pushed down all the way to number 16, which is an absolute travesty. Chris and I were right the first time. So I've moved it up where it belongs up to number six. 
That's not where it belongs, but it's better. It is an excellent movie. It would have probably been closer to 10th, but I recently learned a little bit about the Russian Communist Revolution. I'm not going to go into great lengths of detail here, but one thing that I realized was symbolism that I hadn't noticed before was when the main character is relegated to Siberia where he's moved out to the family cabin, that was something they did to a lot of the bourgeoisie after the revolution. And it's something that Lenin had experienced after being exiled from his own country, forced to watch the actions of Russia from afar, sitting in his study writing papers on it. And that's all he had the power to do was write. And that's what we saw our main character deal with. Len Lenin or Trotsky? Both of them. Okay. So after learning that and learning that this was kind of a, a mirror image of what had happened during the revolution and prior to the revolution, I thought, my God, was that ever excellent writing. So I had to bump it up on the list significantly. And the last major move worth noting is that Slumdog Millionaire tumbled all the way down to number 17. Is that because I won't shut up about how good the music is? And you're just, <laughs> you're doing that to spite me? <laughs> Actually, I looked at it as... It pleases me that you move things similar to where I have them. Both of you have. Yeah, you're just aligning yours to Chris and I's excellent taste. <laughs> the reason that I moved it where I moved it is I ranked it based on the other major romances on this list and where it fell in kind of in sections. So now that we're talking about romances, we should talk about Brokeback Mountain, which is the best romance we've seen so far on this list. I've put it as number seven. I must be a romantic guy because I've got Brokeback Mountain, Wally, and Beauty and the Beast, bang, bang, bang right by each other all pretty high up on the list but Brokeback Mountain although it's a tragedy and a very sad story is the best romance we've seen so far I think the ending helps with that that little bit of a sting gives you this bittersweet kind of I don't know you like you enjoyed the movie and you love seeing the journey and you're excited about it but it ends in just such an I don't know a sad way it just it has a, a way of sticking with you I'm going to let you guys know what I have done my biggest move is Reservoir Dogs from spot 18 to 7. <gasps> wow. Whoa, making moves. A big part of how I rearranged these was now rewatchability and staying power. And Reservoir Dogs is a movie I think I would watch again. And there's not a ton of films that I think are like infinitely rewatchable or very rewatchable, but I think Reservoir Dogs is. Like I would love to go back and see some of those performances again. And I might even rewatch it before the year is over. I think I was just being a little baby. It got bumped down unfairly because some other things I thought were good at the time, but didn't have a lot of staying power like Reservoir does. Some other small moves. Bonnie and Clyde is moving up two spots. I think it's fun. I remember it. Faye Dunaway is really fucking hot too. And so that deserves at least 11th place. <laughs> Airplane is going up two spots because that movie's fucking funny, Sarah. Got the best jokes of all of these. Better than Ghostbusters. Moving up to 14. And I'm kicking Die Hard down five spots. That movie was exciting at the time, fun to watch, but had nothing that really stuck with me. It was too generic. And as a result, I am going to place Brokeback Mountain at spot 12 under Bonnie and Clyde and above Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a great film. I'm not a romantic film connoisseur. It's not my favorite genre. I definitely think it's a great movie, but unfortunately, just given my taste, it's gonna have a hard time competing with some of the more action-oriented films we've seen so far. 
so I know what you think I'm going to say, but you're wrong. Because just listening to you guys talk, I did actually make one move. Amadeus is number one. <laughs> I actually did know that you were going to move something. And it was because I know how convincing I am. <laughs> so what I did, just while we were listening and just I was reflecting on your words of wisdom, I put Die Hard down in spot 18. So that moves it down four spots. So it puts Pan's Labyrinth higher, Airplane and Beauty and the Beast. I, I just don't listen to you guys. Still better than Slumdog, <laughs> way better than uh, Braveheart. But so that's, that's the actual move I made. Even though I, even up to an hour ago, I was like Jordan. I I have impeccable taste, and I know exactly where it was. But and my list is perfect. It, it had one change. John McClane gets the best of all of us. <laughs> Bamboozled his way way too high on the list. Alan Rickman does such a good job in this movie, but it's not enough to carry it. He's good. The rest of it's meh. Yeah, yeah. you got one great character who's an all right villain. He did okay with what he was given. All right, Chris, where are you going to put it? Brokeback Mountain, I'm put at position number seven. So below Reservoir Dogs, but better than Inception. I'm pretty sure I'm still hearing that siren, by the way. Close your window. I Don't don't tell me what to do. I'm going to close my window because I want to, not because you told me what to do. <laughs> I fucking hate when I am listening to music in the car and some dumbass music producer thinks it's okay to put a fucking siren in it and I pull over I the agree. side of the road like a <laughs> moron and there's fucking <laughs> the nothing the there. Like, Fuck this guy. <laughs> Jen loves this stupid fucking song. Jen, what's it called? Oh my God. It's called like Hit and Run or something and like there's a fucking siren in it no it's it's k-pop it's girls generation ah and i fucking panic every time i hear it oh paparazzi paparazzi no, I, I beat up a guy pulled him right out of his pinto and, and then he kicked the shit out of you <laughs> no no i won he was just a little guy okay it was an old lady um <laughs> and she still like, she still kicked the I, shit out of I, you I, th I thought she uh i thought she honked at me but it was just oh in the my song gosh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What the fuck's your problem? Meanwhile, he's, the stereo's still going and he hears the honk. He's like, never mind, my bad. It's on me. <laughs> Chris, what are we going to be watching in episode 26 of Popcorn Peeps? Episode 26, we'll be watching 1957's Bridge on the River Kwai. And there's no place you can stream it for free except for CTV, and that has ads, so don't do that. You can come to the Manor. I'm pretty sure we have it on DVD, and that's how we'll be watching it. Can you rent it on YouTube? Yes, you can rent it on a whole bunch of places. Like, all, 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 yeah. Literally all of our subscribers could come to the Manor. <laughs> hey, there's 52 of them now. Careful what you say. Oh, sorry, Patreon. Patreon, no. I would like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. If you would like to support the show, check out the link at the top of the YouTube description or on PopcornPeeps.com. But special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Ryan Cernan, Frank Costa, Sarah Renier, Erica Wilson, Tyler Laporte, and Ask McButtface. Nice. Thank you so much <laughs> for your contribution to our cause. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.